Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Yeah, praise the Lord for the, the outpouring of love and generosity through the missions offering. I rejoice in, in the faithfulness of the Lord in that. And I'm just going to uh, pray real quick and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much for the kindness that you inspired in the hearts of your people in the missions offering. And we ask you to use that seed that has been sown to bring forth a great harvest in our day. Father, we need you. We need our hearts to be tender before you today. And we ask you for strength and grace through the Holy Spirit to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We, all, we have notes for this morning. If you don't have notes, please raise your hands. Uh, Faithy. And team, uh, if you guys would mind uh, anybody who needs some notes. If you're watching online, there's a link and you can uh, access the PDF online uh, and print them off at home or just read them uh, electronically where you are. So, uh, yes, let's go ahead and get started here. So, like uh, Doug shared, we're finishing up our Acts series today, and the title of today's message is Delivered, and we'll use the content from the final two chapters of Acts, Acts 27 and 28, as our base for exploring this theme, which is a powerful theme and in many ways represents the very heart of the gospel so I know that many people here or many who might, who might be listening online, uh, we're at different stages in our walk with the Lord. So just in case you don't know, the New Testament that uh, has, forms the, the foundation of uh, our teaching in the body of Christ was originally written in first century Greek. And uh, the Greek word for deliver is sozo. Anybody heard that word before? It's, there are a few Greek words that a lot of people in the church know about, and this might be one of them. The Greek word for deliver is sozo, and it can be translated in a variety of ways depending on the context. For example, it can be translated save, deliver, to make well, recover, to bring safely to, to survive, Rescue, heal, spare, preserve. So if you're sick and you need deliverance from sickness and you're healed, that's a form of deliverance from sickness. So depending on what particular situation is uh, envisioned, that's the shape that the deliverance is going to take. And that would alter and affect the way you might translate this word. So assumed here in the idea of being saved, being delivered in some sense some way or another, is some kind of danger, threat, loss, or potential loss, injury, disaster, oppression, injustice. Maybe there's an enemy. (laughs) There's some sort of risk or danger from which we need to be delivered, from which we need help. We need help to make it through a situation. We need somebody to, to come to our aid and do something that we can't do for ourselves. So this idea of danger or risk, oppression, this is the assumption behind the idea of deliverance. Are we sick? Then we're in need of deliverance from illness. Are we being tempted in some way by the enemy? Well, we need rescue from the devourer's lies and schemes and deceits and oppression. Do we find ourselves amidst financial pressures for which there is no human solution? If so, then we are in need of someone 
who has the power to preserve us amidst such pressures and to bring us through the trial, fully leaning on him. Are we in danger of God's coming judgment and wrath? Many Bible verses that talk about the state of the, the, the human population on this planet prior to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are we in danger of God's coming judgment and wrath? If so, then we are in need of a solution by which we can be made right with God and spared the punishment that God says will one day be poured out on those who refuse to repent and acknowledge Him as the one Lord and Creator of all. We are in need of deliverance. We are in need of salvation. And we are in need of a Savior. And praise God. His name is Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Joshua. And it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. Talk about a name. The creator of heaven and earth is salvation. I mean, when we're, this, the song, you know, that's kind of popular in the church right now. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. Yahweh saves. And this name has concrete meaning in our everyday lives and, and in so many examples in the scriptures, some of which we'll be looking at this morning. Let's look at it here really quickly on our notes. Matthew one twenty one, the angel speaking to Joseph. She, Mary, will give birth to a son. And you're, you are to give him the name Jesus. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. Why? Because he will save. He will sozo. His people from what? From their sins. Yes. And here we have it. Sin and death. The great enemies. The great threat to human existence. The great serpent, Satan, who deceived the original parents of humanity into disobeying God and eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And through, death, through sin, death entered the world. Sin and death, the great enemies. It's because of sin that we were banished from the tree of life and the land of the living. It's because of sin that God sent a flood to judge the inhabitants of the earth. It's because of sin that God poured out fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's because of sin that God sent the people of Israel into exile after they had so graciously, he had so graciously given them an inheritance in the land. And it is death that corrupts God's good creation and robs us of our friends and our family and those whom we love most. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And Jesus, His name is Yahweh saves, the name that is above every other name. What a beautiful name it is. There is one we have come to find out who has the power to snatch us from the very jaws of death. There is one whose blood has the power to spare us and make a way of escape from the wrath to come. And there is one who has the power to guide us through this age of trial in the wilderness and bring us into the promised land as the greater Joshua and to lead us out of bondage to sin as the greater Moses in a greater exodus. Jesus the greater Moses, Jesus the greater Joshua. What a beautiful name it is. And as I was meditating and just reflecting on this message this morning, like, Lord, make this real to me. He brought to my mind a, a time where 
Uh, it was 2016, uh, January, February, and my wife was getting to go through her third, uh, maybe third or fourth round of chemo, and we were scheduled to have, in two or three days, uh, her, her next round of chemo, and, we were, and, and the weather was saying in two or three days we're going to have uh, a huge winter storm with several feet of snow. Now, I know in Minnesota, that's like putt-putt golf, right? But in Kentucky, it's an apocalyptic event, okay? So, so I mean, shelves are emptying, people are buying stuff, and settling in for the... And, and it turned out to actually be rather apocalyptic. Like, it was a lot of snow. Her, her, her next chemo treatment was scheduled about the same time the snow was supposed to come. And then we lived, we lived in this little farmhouse... And our water went out. Our well water, I had, I, I, part of an overall just <laughs> crazy drama, I couldn't get the water to work. We had very little money, and it was just this, we were at a time, just like so many, I, I know all of you can relate as well, I need Yahweh saves. I can't, I can't figure this out right now. And we talked to some friends, and the Lord said, hey, have you talked to Ellen Hingles? Ellen Hingles was a friend. Ellen, if this teaching at some point or another in the cyber world somehow makes it to you, I just want to say thank you. Have you talked to Helen, or Ellen? Ellen, she had a, we came to find out she had an apartment above her, her garage, out in the middle of nowhere. Ellen had lost her, her husband to cancer, and it just happened that she had this apartment free, and she said, we'd be willing to stay there for free as long as we needed. So we packed up really quickly and got mama and the kids to that apartment. And uh, like I said, we didn't have much money at that time. And some, the only, for, the only uh, heat available uh, for that particular apartment was, was wood heat. And somebody, the Lord put it on somebody's heart to supply us with a whole rick of wood. And mills started showing up. And Yahweh saved. He came to our rescue. There was no hope. There was, I mean, literally, we, had no, we didn't know where to go, who to turn to, and he came through for us in a powerful way. And I, I'm sure all of you have so many testimonies of where the Lord in little and big ways has shown up and shown himself as the God who has power to rescue and to preserve and to sustain. Well, here in Acts 27 through 28, we have... Sozo, salvation, deliverance-derived words appear eight times, and it seems quite appropriate to me to conclude our Acts series by standing in awe before our great Deliverer and Savior and thanking Him for His saving acts, the very reason for which we're gathered in this room together, the very reason for which we, we give a missions offering so that others can be brought into His family as they too experience his salvation. <clears throat> so we probably won't get through all the notes, but they're there for you as a resource if you have time to study them on your, on your own at home. We have several powerful act, uh, examples of God intervening and working powerfully to bring deliverance in Acts chapter 27. Let's look here uh, at uh, letter A. Yahweh saves, Jesus delivers at sea. Just by way of background, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's on a ship. It's probably an Alexandrian grain ship. 
and they make some bad choices, and they find themselves in this massive storm, and they all think they're going to die. That's the background. Let's, go to, let's start in the text here. So they're in the midst of the storm, verse 18. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. Now, bear in mind here, this is an Alexandrian grain ship. It's a wooden ship, a big ship with a lot of grain. Well, what happens to grain when water, when water gets in it? It expands. Well, what if, you're on a, if you've got tons of grain on a big wooden boat and that grain starts expanding? What's it going to do? Yeah, so you've got you to you offload it before the, the, the wood starts to crack in the ways that could bring the ship down. So verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Verse 20, for many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. And there's the the Greek word sozo there. So they're losing hope. They're in a place of despair. They need Yahweh saves to come to their rescue. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Because earlier Paul had given them a warning. He said to them, I don't, this isn't going to turn out well if we, if we risk uh, launching, and, launching out and trying to get to Rome at this time of year. Uh, verse 22, now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. Verse 23, For last night an angel of the God I belong to and serve. Who is that? Yeshua, Yehoshua, Yahweh saves, Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth himself. This is the one whom Paul belongs to and serves. He stood by me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul. It's necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. What does that imply here? God has graciously, mercifully, and generously and kindly given you the other people on the ship. What does this say? What was Paul doing on the ship? He's praying for them. Think about that. They're in this pickle because they ignored his advice. He's the one being taken to Rome as a prisoner. And he's praying for them. They too would know Yahweh saves. I just picture it in my mind. He's sitting there. I don't know maybe how, if he had his chain on the whole time. And he's look, he looks over across and he sees these people in despair because they, they, they're, they're about to lose their lives. And he says, Yahweh in the name of Yeshua, save that one. Don't let him go down in the ship because maybe he'd, I want him to know you. I want him to be a part of your your family forever. I want him as a brother forever. This is powerful, a powerful picture of what it means to give and to lay down your life and to seek the good of others, even when you yourself are under such great pressure and opposition. Verse 25, so take courage, man, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told me. But we have to run aground on some island And then later on in the story, the rest were to follow, some on planks, some on debris from the ship. In this way, just as Paul prophesied, everyone safely reached the shore. And here's a a word related to sozo, dia sozo. Letter B, page 2. Yahweh saves, delivers on the island of Malta. 
Once they were safely ashore, here it is again, Diasoza, once Yahweh saves, brought them safely, all with their lives preserved, to the shore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Verse 4, when the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped, Diasozo, as he's escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But here, Yahweh saves Jesus, comes to his aid, and protects him. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. This is likely, much more likely what Jesus had in mind in Mark 16, 18, when he says that serpents won't hurt you, rather than like snake handling and stuff like that. Just, just for the record. <laughs> I don't think he had in mind, let's pick up rattlesnakes and see if they can bite us when we live. Testing the Lord is not what he has in mind here. But here Paul is just innocently, obviously, picking up some wood, and a snake bites him, and he lives. <clears throat> he shakes the snake off into the fire, suffers no harm. Verse 6, they expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they're watching him. They changed their minds and said he was a god, <laughs> which I assume breaks its own challenges as well. You know, nope, that's wrong conclusion, guys. That's not, that's not the point of this. Verse 7, now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him. He healed him. Of course, it was Jesus performing healing through Paul. Verse 9, after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Because they were in need of deliverance. They were in need of the God who heals. They were in need of the greater Joshua to come to their aid. So he came to their aid with acts of healing. What's wonderful about these examples from Acts 27 is they're powerful testimonies. They're testimonies of the God whom we serve. He is the creator of all things. But we have to recognize as well that everybody on that ship that was spared in the storm, eventually still died, right? Paul himself eventually still died, even though he was bitten by the snake. So as powerful as these mighty acts of deliverance are, they're meant to serve a purpose that point beyond themselves to a deliverance that is permanent and eternal and which will never perish, spoil, or fade, and to assure us that if we, by the Lord's grace, continue walking this path with Jesus to the end, that when our King returns on the clouds with power and great glory, there is a resurrection of life that awaits us, and we will be spared, and we will escape from the greatest enemy of all, enemy of death, and we will be spared the lake of fire, and we will be included in His coming kingdom. And that's where we're going to get to in Acts 28. So let's dive in there together. The glorious deliverance to come. Paul finally makes it to Rome. It, a long story. He says, I appeal to Caesar. He finally now makes it to Rome where he'll appear before Caesar. He calls together the Jewish leaders, and here is what he tells them. It's interesting. He's gone through this whole ordeal, this, all these trials and accusations, and he finally gets to Rome, and his main concern is to call the Jewish leaders together to tell them the gospel. It's just powerful to see his 
uh, the, just what's driving him here. Verse 13, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, just like Jesus, who was innocent, by the way, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. Verse 18, they examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. Verse 19, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. He says, this is the real reason that I am suffering for the sake of this message. That's the reason I had to call you to where I am being imprisoned to talk to you. It's because of the hope of Israel. And of course, these Jewish leaders, that's going to get their attention because they're in the synagogues every week working through the law and the prophets and the writings, teaching about the hope of Israel. Verse 23 Skip down a little bit, a few verses. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. I mean, if he's talking about the hope of Israel, we're interested in this, so we're coming. So more people come. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, which means that they're opening up a lot of, a lot of the Scriptures, explaining about the kingdom of God. And Luke is assuming, here we are at the end of Luke-Acts, he's assuming that if you've hung with him through the book of Luke and the book of Acts, that you have an idea of what he means here by the kingdom of God. I mean, Luke-Acts comprises about a fourth of the entire New Testament. So he's not explaining what Paul means by that in this particular passage. But he explains about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets... He tried to persuade them about Jesus. And again, the previous content from Luke Acts gives us, fills out the details of what he means by that. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And then at the Acts 28, the chapter ends with, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation, here it is again, tosoterion, it's related to sozo, and it's a focus on the means or the instrument of salvation here. God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles because the Gentiles too need Yahweh saves. The Gentiles too need deliverance, deliverance from darkness, deliverance from sin, deliverance from death. And they will listen. Verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So let's go to the last page. This is something that you can take home and break it down and study it more on your own. But I wanted just to create a chart for you to have a resource uh, to refer to. But we'll cover some of the main things here. In Acts 28, what we just read, Paul highlighted four main aspects here of the gospel of his message. The hope of Israel the kingdom of God about Jesus or about the Lord Jesus Christ and God's salvation sent to the Gentile. And as I was saying, to, by the time you get to Luke or Acts 28, Luke's assuming that you've been diving in to that big long scroll uh, that he's been, been working on. So let's just look a little bit here at some of the things he means by these phrases. The hope of Israel. It's the hope in what God has promised 
to our ancestors, meaning the promises of the covenants, Israel's promised redemption. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he calls Abraham out of Ur to go to the land I've promised you. I'll make you, I'll bless you, I'll make you a great nation. Your name will be great. Those who curse you, I'll curse. Those who bless you, I'll bless. And in you or through you, all, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the promises of the covenants. The hope of the resurrection of the dead. Paul specifically references this in Acts several times. Brethren, I come to you in these chains to tell you about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And he knew, many of them probably being from a Pharisaic background, they had a grid for bodily resurrection. He's saying, we have a first fruits example. Yeshua of Nazareth, he's been raised from the dead. We know, yes, this is true. This this understanding of our hope is real. We have a living first, first fruits example in Jesus himself, which is a surety and a guarantee, and it points to the full resurrection. Harvest to come. I picture him. I picture those, the Jews around him saying, are you serious? We've been teaching this, but you're saying there's an actual living example about this? And I picture Paul saying, yes, here, open your Torah scrolls. Let's go, to, let's go and look at the feast, and let's look at... Isaiah 53 and the Messiah's sufferings, and they're, you know, just getting stirred up. It's exciting news. The hope of Israel and the kingdom of God. And if you look in Luke 24, Jesus explains to the to two on the road to Emmaus and to the, the other disciples, did you not know the Messiah had to suffer first before entering to his, his glory? And he had to break down the fact that the Messiah had to come a first time as an atonement for the forgiveness of sins before the day of judgment, before the day of glory, to bring restoration and to make a way of salvation for both Israel and the nations. He talks about, in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 1, the kingdom to be restored to Israel as promised, but first repentance and forgiveness of sins to be offered to the Gentiles also as promised so that they may be included in the Messiah's kingdom, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus had work for them to do. Entry into that kingdom through suffering. Jesus, the one who is appointed as king, who execute justice when he returns, and his resurrection is proof that all of the promises are sure, and that he is, in fact, the king who will judge the living and the dead. The Father's choice to carry out this task when he returns. The kingdom of God, there's a number of, a number of situations in the book of Acts where, he's dis, where you have a reference to the kingdom of God and there's a discussion about the resurrection or a discussion about Jesus being raised from the dead. So there may be implied in that something similar to what you read about in 1 Corinthians 15, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We've learned, we've seen from Jesus that first there needs to be a resurrection unto life and then we enter. So that may be implied as well in this discussion. Certainty and confirmation of the promises. And about Jesus, about the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 1, 
He's going to come back just as you saw him go up. So he's too, he's coming back on the clouds and power and glory. He's the Messiah who was promised in the law and the prophets. He's the one whom God accredited by signs and wonders and miracles. Yes, this is the one. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. He's the key to life. He's Yahweh saves. He'll save you. Turn to him. Turn to him. I'm accrediting him. I'm appointing him. He's the one I've chosen crucified for the forgiveness of sins because we need deliverance from our sins raised to life victory over death because we need deliverance from death Jesus the son of God Jesus the Messiah Jesus the one true king and righteous king because we need deliverance from unjust and righteous rulers and kings and kingdoms in this age he had to suffer and he had to rise from the dead and so much of what Paul is explaining in terms of Jesus is about the cross. Although some rabbis after the time of Jesus postulated a suffering Messiah or even two different Messiahs, one a suffering Messiah and the other a triumphant one, according to Craig Keener, he says, the Christians seem to have been the first to proclaim the concept of a suffering Messiah. And that would perfectly accord with what we read about in Acts, or Luke 24 especially, but in other places in, in Luke-Acts as well. And then God's salvation, going to the Gentiles, Luke Luke 24 and Acts 26, repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations, Jesus' name to be born and carried and represented to all nations, the Spirit poured out even on the Gentiles. Gentiles are granted, granted repentance unto life. The Messiah grants light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles turning to God, nations commanded to repent in view of the day of the Lord. So if you have time to go at home to go back over this chart and look at some of these different elements, it's powerful. And what they tell us over and over again is we need a Savior. And God in His mercy and grace has provided just that, a Savior. And His name is Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And so you can, if we have it, you can put that final graphic on the, uh, the screen, if we have it. There it is. So let's make some of these connections, and we'll wrap up. Paul and others are delivered from death at sea. It's a sign. It's an act of deliverance in time and history now, prior to the return of Jesus, prior to the great deliverance to come. Paul delivered from the serpent's poison and death. The people on Malta delivered from sickness through healing acts performed by Jesus. Yahweh saves And these are signs and assurances from the great deliverer himself. Yahweh saves that a day is coming when he, as the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead, will come back and establish a kingdom of perfect righteousness and justice, raise the dead to life. You think deliverance from the sea is cool. You think deliverance from a snake is cool. Wait for the day when Jesus comes in power and great glory and says, come up from the graves. And you start seeing your aunts and your uncles and your friends and your loved ones coming up shining in resurrected power and glory. Come on. That is deliverance. And these acts of deliverance in Acts 27, they assure us that not only does he deliver us from The snake, which is a representative of the serpent, but one day is coming when he'll take the serpent who has deceived us and God has played a big role in getting us into this mess in the first place and he'll deal with him and get him out of the way and cast him into the lake of fire 
And we will inherit a kingdom that will never perish or spoil or fade. What great deliverance God has worked on our behalf. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to have, and if you're on the prayer team, please go to the sides. If you want to come up, come on up. If you want to pray with people next to you, I'm almost certain that there's some area in your life where you want to connect with Yahweh saves our King, where you're looking for acts of deliverance, where you're seeking Him, whether it's for grace to endure faithfully through a time of difficulty, whether it's some financial thing that you're like, God, I don't have an answer to, whether it's relational pressures, whether it's serious health pressures or minor health pressures. I guarantee there's something. Let's pour out our hearts to the Lord together. Let's pull our brothers and sisters around us and seek the Lord together in prayer and cry out to the only one who has power to bring us through these things and the one who has solemnly vowed and promised that those who belong to him will taste the glory and immortality that awaits those who belong to Jesus on that great day of deliverance to come when he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.